The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. You guys ready to jump into the Word together? <clears throat> I think we came here to hear from the Lord, didn't we? We're in a new series. We're in week two of a series entitled Set Your Hope. Set Your Hope. And this phrase for this sermon series title comes from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, which is our anchor verse. We're going to be bouncing around verses 1 to 21 uh, in this series for, for about four weeks. And, uh, but I want to read verse 13 together as we jump in. Actually, I'll read the parts we're going to use for this morning. I'll read down from 13 down to 21. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest, visible in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, even in its reading, we are stirred. Our spirits are engaged. God, we thank you that for those who have faith in Jesus this morning and have experienced the indwelling power of your Holy Spirit, you attend to the reading and preaching of your word with power, power to renew the mind and to transform the heart and to set the direction and to increase hope and build faith. God, and I pray that as we lean into listening, that every single person in my hearing would be impacted by your word. God, speak to us now. We're inviting you. We're eager. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. You know, there's this odd dynamic that happens in life where we are both led by our feelings and by our thinking. Uh, as I understand personalities, it's become kind of an interest of mine, personalities. I've studied the Myers-Briggs test and the Enneagram, and I'm always interested in how people are wired because I was in my 30s before I realized everyone wasn't wired like me. It kind of cleared up a lot of things and helped me to understand how people act and what people do and how people speak and what people mean. And so I've, I'm always interested, but there seem to be at least a few groups of personality types, some who really move from the heart. They live in the, 
in the center of their feelings and their emotions. They experience the world through the filter of how they feel and how things hit them. They're compassionate and empathetic and considerate types of people. And then there are us thinking types uh, who all of the perception of the world around us does not go through our feeling emotional center. It goes directly to the brain and then has to be filtered out into the emotional center, sometimes uh, which is somewhat sparse, any, any thinking people in the house. And so I've had to learn this. What does it look like? And God's paired me with a beautiful woman of God who, who lives at the center of the heart. I also know there's some body people who just literally physically feel everything. And they, they live through the world, through their touch. They're the huggy ones and the handshaky ones. They're the long handshake people. That's those people. They're the dancers and the movers. And they're, they're the people that are, are always ready to embrace. And so there's different kinds of people. But one of the principles in this passage has to do with the, the role of how we intersect with those things. It's not elevating one over the other. But I want to direct you as we learn from Peter how to set our hope on the grace that will be revealed to us in the last times at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's where we need to set our hope. And he gives us these four ways we're supposed to do that. Last week, we looked at shift your paradigm. Some of us are just thinking about and seeing the world not as it is, but as we have perceived it. And so when it comes to following Jesus, we all need a paradigm shift. Can they get amen? So we got to start there. But there's work to be done, to be done as we set our hope that, has, that happens in our mind. It happens in our mind. And so this second sermon title is Prepare Your Mind. Somebody say, prepare your mind. Prepare your mind. And I was thinking about the difference between following your feeling or following your mind. And I was taken back to uh, how I kind of process things as a teenager. So I have a brother who's 20 months younger than me. Him and I shared a room our entire childhood. We're very different types of people, wired very differently. And um, he was that outgoing kind of brash, black and white, say it like it is. And so we would always want to, and I was the sneaky one, by the way, in case you're wondering. I know that comes as a surprise to some of you. But uh, we, we were always invited by our little group of ruffian friends to go to the bar pits, which is an abbreviation for the borrow pits, which is a series of man-made lakes in the woods where now the new Smyrna Beach Walmart exists. But when I was a kid, there was just a chevron there and a path covered in trash back to where everybody partied on Friday night. Anybody remember the borrow pits? Yeah, yeah, we can talk later. So I'd always ask mom, hey, can we go out to the bar pits? And she'd always say, absolutely not. And so Casey, my brother, he would just be like, this is ridiculous, I can't believe you're so controlling, don't trust me, never give me an opportunity, slam the door. And I would be like, mom, can I go to Michael's house? <laughs> yes. And then I would go to Michael's house, and then Michael and I would go to the bar pits. <laughs> so this is how I rolled. And... Um, it's funny, I had this experience that opened up my eyes to think about uh, Muck and Meyer. I was reading Julian's little nighttime story, The Little Blue Truck, and there's this scene in the book where the big important dump truck gets stuck, and the author says his big important dump truck tires were, were stuck down deep in Muck and Meyer. And I thought, this guy's probably a Christian because normal people don't say Muck and Meyer. But I had my first ever experience uh, with Muck and Meyer at the Borrow Pits. So I went there with a few friends, weren't, wasn't supposed to be there, and uh, there's this pine tree that kind of hangs out over the corner of the lake, and somebody had nailed in some two-by-fours as a little ladder, and there were these three little platforms, and the, the bottom platform was like, I don't know, 10 or 12 feet off the ground, and it was fairly stable, and the next one up was like six or eight feet up, it was like 20 feet, and you were feeling a little sway at that point, but some crazy person put another platform at the top of this pine tree, and the tree's like 
three inches in diameter. You're holding it and swaying back and forth like eight feet. And so I was dared to jump off that top platform. And of course, I was a 15-year-old boy, so I did it, right? Because 15-year-old boys are not known for making really good decisions when there's no moms around. And so I, I jumped out of this tree, never been in, hadn't been in the water yet, shoes on, clothes on, jumped into the tree to find that I landed in about three to four feet of actual water and then about another three to four feet of actual muck and mire. And so I went all the way in and I felt this mud kind of envelop my legs up to just above my knees. And then I was just stuck underwater. And I reached up and I could feel that the top of the water was just above my head. My hand was dry, but I was stuck in, in the mud, completely covered by water. And at first I was like, oh, this is gross. And I'm trying to pull my feet out. I can't get my feet out. And so I'm a surfer. I'm good with being underwater and not, being, not freaking out and holding my breath for a while. And so I was thinking this through and I'm starting to work on getting to my legs. But the more you dig, the more stuff collapses. And I'm finding myself starting to get really anxious and nervous and I'm waving and nobody's coming to my rescue. And so it was really kind of a traumatizing situation. Eventually I was able to get one leg out. I lost a shoe and then I worked on getting the other one out, lost the other shoe. I went home barefoot and had to make up another lie about giving my shoes to a homeless person. Do you see how this works? So my mom thinks that I'm this, you know, pliable, submissive, young son, responsible, and also generous at this point. But the problem with lies is you keep having to tell another one and another one and another one. Can I get amen? So I learned that lesson. And, um, but it was, it was that experience that, that kind of jarred me to think about you know, it's the first time as a 15-year-old boy that things I'll live forever, nothing will ever come against me, that I can conquer all things, that I thought, man, there's some dangerous stuff out there. Maybe I should listen to my mom. That thought did not last long. <laughs> but as I was studying Peter's words here in chapter one, I was reminded of the good news that is for all people. And I love the way Psalm 40 says it. He drew me up out of a pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he set my feet upon a rock and he made my steps secure. There was nobody to save me from the borrow pits that day. They all scattered when they thought I was gonna die. But I have a savior who saw my spiritual condition. I could do nothing for myself and it was certain eternal spiritual death and he came to my rescue and he lifted me up out of my pit and he set my feet on a rock. And that's the source of my faith and my strength and my hope for eternity and I hope that's yours as well. And I love the way that Peter puts these two things together. He, he ends this section talking about uh, the result being that our faith and our hope are in God. And maybe you're here this morning and you haven't put your faith in God. I'm here to talk to you about how to set your hope. Maybe you haven't even set your faith yet, but I got good news for you. No matter how stuck you feel, no matter how dire your circumstances, no matter how scared you are, no matter what unclarity there is, no matter what you're going through, there is a God who made you, loves you, and died to save you, who's ready to lift you up out of your muck and mire and set your feet upon a rock. It's good news for everybody and you can call out for it in church, at home, on a Thursday, driving, doesn't matter where you are, what you just did, how bad the situation is and how high the bail is set. He'll save you from anything. He sets our feet on a rock and that's the substance of our faith. But our faith and our hope can be different because you can be a person of rock solid faith, saved, set apart, set on a rock, walking with Jesus, 
But you can make the mistake of setting your hope in the wrong place. Don't you know it? I'm a little bit of a scatterbrained person, which is kind of a problem when you're a brain-centered person and also scatterbrained. Uh, I used to have this, do this thing. When Tiffany and I first got married, um, I, would, I would walk into the front door from work and I would take out my wallet and my keys and I would set them on the ledge there by the door. And then I would take my hat off and I would set it somewhere and then my glasses. And then I'd take my watch off and put it somewhere. And I, I just kind of ended up putting things wherever I happened to be which was fine at the time, but then when it was time to go, every time we were gonna leave to go somewhere, we were playing hide and seek with my stuff. Anybody else like that? Are you married to somebody like that? Let me pray for you right now, because that's rough. So it's taken me 20 years, but now my hat comes off, glasses, keys, wallet, watch, now phone and AirPods. Those were new items. They didn't have those in the early 2000s. All that stuff goes into one place. Where you set your stuff matters. Do you know that? And you can be a person of faith, but you can make the mistake of setting your hope in outcomes, in people, in results, in your own prayers, in your misconceptions about God, all the things God will never or will always do. God will never lead a staff member to resign when you need to hire another staff member. Why would he do that? But where are we setting our hope, right? And we can do this thing where we set our hope in all these different places. And then when it's time for your faith to work, you got no hope to empower it. And the people who have their hope set, they're out the door and you're left scrambling. And so I want us to be people of hope. And we need that. We need that. For a thousand reasons, personal, individual, but also for our world, because we're all living in this weird world together. And so here we are working to prepare our minds. This word here in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 is dia noia means through the mind. And it's the idea that your mind is actually the thing that's driving everything else. You're kind of this triad in scripture of mind, spirit, soul, heart, sometimes is a word that's substitute. And there's this idea that you have emotions and desires and wills, but inside of that, there's also a little pilot. How many of you guys watched the movie Inside Out? Did you see that movie? I got kids, so I saw it. Um, And it's like this experience of a child who has these five characters in her brain Joy, sadness, anger, disgust, and fear. And these are kind of like the feelings of the person. And they all kind of take turns driving her to do different things. And the movie kind of brings you to the realization that um, we have those influences, but we ought to be the ones driving, and that's your mind. And that's what dianoia means. Some of you guys are familiar with the word paranoia. You know what that means? An irregular mind. They're after me. No, they're not. You're not that important. Yes, I am. They're after me, the people. It's all against me, paranoia. But we're meant to be preparing our minds, using our minds, activating our minds. And in fact, when we start to change our mind about the way we see ourselves in the world, you know what the Bible calls that? Metanoia, translated as repent, change your mind. This is what Jesus came proclaiming in Matthew chapter four. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Guess what? You are not the king, but he's here. It's time to change your mind, change your course, change your thought process, metanoia. And once you've made that change, you need to engage in that process. Dianoia, prepare your mind. And that's where Peter's going. I love that. Because um, we have this kind of cultural uh, phrase. I don't even know where it came from. I don't even know what you think it means. But there's like an impulse, especially with young people, to follow your heart. Follow your heart. And I don't want to give follow your heart a bad rap because some of us think it means different things. Some of us hear follow your heart and, they, and you hear discover your purpose, the meaning of life. That's really important. You should definitely do that. But some of us follow our heart to the borrow pits. 
You know, we're like, what do I want to do right now? And how do I, I just want to respond to my, my emotions. And this is letting your desires, which are unstable, drive your mind, which is stable. And so we want to be people who prepare our mind in order to set our hope. Hmm. And it's important we recognize the mind that we have repeatedly in the scripture and even read it after worship, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Do you know that God's given you a mind? Not just you were born with a mind, but if you have faith in Jesus, God's given you a new mind, a new way of thinking. It's Christ's mind. It's the, the, it's the Christ filter. It's the, I see everything through the eyes of one, one superseding reality. His name is Jesus. And so we're told by Paul in 2 Corinthians 2, 16, we have the mind of Christ. So you have a new mind, but how are you using it? That's what Peter's talking about here. Are you using it to set your hope or not? So look back with me at verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is at the center. He's coming back. Grace is coming your way. There's grace for you today. That's where your hope needs to be set. In order to set your hope, there are two things you are found to be doing. These are prerequisites to setting your hope. I just finished my bachelor's degree. I'm very excited. Took my capstone class this summer, but there was all these classes that I could not take until I took other classes. They were prerequisites. And I'm here to tell you this morning that in order for you to learn to set your hope, there is a prerequisite and it is preparing your mind and being sober-minded. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Verse 13 starts with a therefore. And when we see a therefore, we must ask what it is Therefore, Peter is saying, in summation, since you have been chosen for this experience as elect exiles, since you have been set apart for repurposing and for refinement by the Holy Spirit, since you have been set under the lordship for obedience to Jesus, since you have been saved, born again to a living hope, he says, since you have been given an eternal inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you, because these things are true, because you are being guarded by faith for a salvation to be revealed, because your faith is being tested by your circumstances, all those things, therefore having prepared your mind for action, being sober-minded, set your hope. So let's just spend a little bit of time looking at those two ways. Because it's interesting that he gives us two and they're very purposeful. He's kind of doing some weird verbiage with them, which I'm gonna show you. But setting your hope requires a mind that is both active and alert. This, that's the tweetable version of the sermon. I'm not on Twitter. Don't plan to get on. I would get kicked off quickly. Setting your hope requires a mind that is active and alert. Look at Young's literal translation. This is always fun. When uh, English translations try to smooth over an idiom you may not understand. I love looking at Young's literal translation because this is what the Greek words would say if you just turned them into English. Wherefore, having girded up the loins of your mind, being sober, hope perfectly upon the grace that is being brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's a little cumbersome, isn't it? And we're like, why are we bringing loins into this? This is an idiom for being prepared for action. It's actually a really good translation in the English Standard Version to say preparing your minds for action. But girding up the loins is not something we're particularly uh, keen on because we don't all walk around wearing robes. But I did find a website called The Art of Manliness. The Art of Manliness. You're welcome to look that up. And guys, you're welcome. And they had this to say, about the girding up of the loins. So here's a very masculine man in a robe. I did not want you to think of a dude in a dress. 
And so here's the, the tunic would uh, not allow you for heavy labor or fighting in battle. And so you'd have to gird it up if you were going to do anything. And so you pull it up to expose your wonderfully muscular thighs. You gather it all up in the front and then you put it through your legs and grab it in the back and either tuck it into your belt or tie it in front of you, depending on how long you were. And that was called the girding of the loins. And here's a picture of now you're ready to just hack down somebody with a sickle sword. You see this? It's very masculine, the girding of the loins. But anybody that's wearing a robe that was going to do something that was physically involved would need to do this process to free their legs. Otherwise, you'd just be tripping over your robe or be getting caught on things. And so this is an idiom that people would have understood. Sometimes, if we got anybody who regularly says, buckle up, buttercup, come on, raise your hand. Buckle up, buttercup. Put on your big boy pants right? Think about all the ways that we talk about it. It's time to lace up your work boots. We're getting to work. Whatever the thing it is that you would say that says, it's time for you to get your butt in gear, whatever the idiom, this is the idiom of the day. And so Peter says, you need to gird up the loins of your mind. It's time to prepare your mind for action. No action. There is drift away from where your hope ought to be set and you will naturally set your hope in the wrong places. And so you've got to have your mind prepared. It's active. Um, I used to do two things in life when I was a teenager. I used to mix stucco mud in a mixer and then surf. And that's it. And so I had a pair of stucco covered work boots and flip-flops. That was my only option. And when I started going to community college, I had these one semester where I had daytime classes and the guy, the stucco crew was like, if you can't be here every day, don't come back. So I was like, okay, bye. And I went and got a job for a lawn maintenance company. And so they said, see you at Monday. And in my mind, I was thinking my options for this job are stucco covered work boots or flip-flops. And believe it or not, I felt like flip-flops was a better option. And so I showed up to the first day of lawn maintenance wearing flip-flops to the chagrin of the rest of the crew. Uh, I suffered many small lacerations on my feet and ankles and I had green toenails for a month. It's important that you have the right footwear. I don't know if you guys noticed today, but I abandoned the flip-flops and chose for shoes. Simply as a way to illustrate, sometimes you gotta be ready to do something besides walk to the beach, which is what flip-flops are for. And so here we have this, this picture of, of action. And it's a picture of purpose because how you act matters. Look at the transition here from verse 13 to verse 14, which we haven't gotten into yet in the series. As obedient. Somebody say obedient. This is about what you do. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. Don't do the things you used to do when you knew nothing. Guess who doesn't lie to their mom anymore? Guess who doesn't jump out of trees into water that you have not checked the depth on anymore? Right here. See, it's a natural progression of growth, but sometimes spiritually, we don't make the same connection. We don't make the same transition. And we, we just live inside the futility of the way we used to think about the world, about other people. If you find yourself constantly being let down by other people, you need this message because you've set your hope in the wrong place. But if people mess up, screw up, don't show up, let you down, say the wrong thing, talk behind your back, whatever it is, and you're like, yeah, that's to be expected because that's people. Maybe that's because you've learned a thing or two and you're no longer walking in the futilities of your former ignorance. Do you see this? Maybe if you're setting your hope on an outcome about a preconceived notion of what God will do, this is what God will always do. And I, and I hear it, I hear it from the pulpit. This is what God will do. And if you believe it, God will do it. But God didn't say he would do that. 
That's not what God said. Sometimes I yell at my podcast. That's not what God said. God did not say that. But sometimes we need that voice in our own head. That's not, God didn't say that. And if you find yourself angry at God, a lot of times it's because the thing you wanted, the thing you decided, the thing you were telling God he was supposed to do, he didn't do. But guess what? He's the Lord and you're not. He's the father and you're the child. What he's looking for is trust and obedience. And this is where your hope will hold you secure. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Do you know it? We got to learn to set our hope and it involves preparing our minds to act. I do this every single day because I am an obedient child to the father in heaven. Do you know that? And so every single day I have this, this routine, me and God, and I talk to him, but I remind myself of what's true. I am a child of God, loved by God as my father, forgiven in his son, Jesus, empowered by his Holy Spirit. I am who he says that I am. And I'm not saying that to him because he forgot. <laughs> I'm saying it to me because I want to obey him today. And I woke up on the throne of my own heart. I got to do a morning dethroning every single day. I call it caffeination and affirmation. I don't leave the house without coffee because you don't want to see that attitude. And I don't leave the house without connecting to who God says I am because he's in control and I want to live a life obedient to him. And this is what it means to set your hope. This is what it means to be holy as he is holy, to align ourselves with the truth. I love the way that in verses 17 to 19, he connects this to what's really priceless. You call on him whose father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Think about this for a second. God is both your father and your judge. Let that sink in. So God is your father. He loves you tenderly. He listens to you constantly. He meets your needs. He cares about you, cares for you, thinks about you. He's proactive in your success. He is your father but he is also the righteous judge before whom all will give an account. And so that ought to process in our thinking as we actively prepare our mind to say, I can run to him for help, but I'm also gonna stand before him to give an account. And that's gonna make me think about my choices a little differently. Listen, if I knew how bad my shins would be bleeding at the end of one day of weed eating, then I would have worn pants and shoes. It only took one day. And I've never forgotten that lesson. Although I do mow my own grass and flip-flops. True story. The reality, the reality is that we need to align ourselves with truth. We need to align ourselves with living life as though we have a father in heaven. It's not on you. The bills aren't on you. The outcomes aren't on you. You're supposed to do what God's called you to do and he's the one that takes care of you. Do you know it? Do you find yourself stressing out about the future, about the resources? Where's it gonna come from? How are we gonna pay the bills? How are we gonna get the kids in college? How are we gonna get the house paid off, the 401ks in the, in the hole? When are we gonna be retired? Oh, 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 oh. Guess what? You have a father who worries about that stuff. And so go to work and be kind. Or don't go to work, retire and be kind and also poor. But are you living life like you have a father? And are you making choices like you have a judge? That your, your actions matter. That the God who made you and loves you and died to save you cares what you do with your words and your actions and how you treat people. And so this is contrasted between what's truly precious and perishable things such as silver or gold, which is really helpful for exiles who have nothing. You're preaching to a bunch of poor people who lost everything by being sent out of their homeland and they're literally penniless. Peter says, that money wasn't any, it was just, perishable anyway. We're all, we're all going to lose it. My dad used to say, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. 
And just so you guys know, when he dies, I'm getting a hearse with a trailer hitch and I'm renting a trailer and I'm putting a U-Haul trailer on the hearse for my dad. That's happening. So get your cameras out, okay? Because he said that to me so much. And you can't take it with you, right? Naked, we come into the world. Naked, we go out of the world. This is, this is what it means. And so we got to be active to engage what is true. God is Father. God is Judge. We live to be obedient. We have his support and we'll stand before him to give an account for what we did with what we knew and what we had. So how does this work? Listen, this week, um, I got the news about Afghanistan, like everybody else did, about the horrors that are happening there, about a Taliban takeover. And instantly, I did not set my foot on hope. I set my foot on fear. I set my foot on fear for the people who were there, Americans and supporters. What's going to happen to them? Fear for women, you know, 50 to 55% of the population of Afghanistan now to be tormented and tortured by Islamic jihadists. My, my mind went to fear about, hey, we've been staving off 20 years of 9-11s by having a presence in Afghanistan, and now we have none. So now what's going to happen? How long is it going to take before there's something launched on the United States? These are the feelings that I'm having. But that's not an active mind. That's a mind that's drifting into fear. When the reality is, God was not unaware of what was happening in Afghanistan. God knows every detail. We no longer have intelligence on the ground in Afghanistan. I do. His name is Jesus. And everybody over there reports to him at the end of the age. Listen, we're not in control, but that doesn't mean we have to live by fear. We got to set our hope on what is true. I have a father. There is a judge. Everyone will give an account. He is in control. I can trust in him. And then we act. There's a family that we're connected with through a Christchurch family. They were missionaries with YWAM in Afghanistan. They had come home and they know tons of people over there. They're, they're connected in the underground church and they are flying into Kabul this week to bring aid to 20 families who are part of the underground church. We're talking about American people going to Afghanistan right now. That's some Jesus transformation. That's not normal, everybody. I don't know if you know that or not. We are in a 30% decline in giving through this little COVID spike as people haven't come to church and has not recovered yet. But we don't, we don't give based on how much we have, how much is coming in, what our projections are. We give, we give based on what God put in our heart and what we have in our bank account. And so we're sending aid with them. And you're welcome to do that as well. I would love for you to, if led by the Holy Spirit, write a check and support them. Jonathan and Tina, their names. And if you can write a check to Christ Church, we'll give it directly to them. In the middle of our need going up, we wanna be putting God's resources where it matters to him because we have a father and there is a judge. And so we don't live the way the world lives. We don't recoil and self-preserve. No, we love and we give and we move in the right direction. Do you see it? If I don't hurry up, we're gonna need a part two of this week. How does this work? Sometimes it's not your fear, sometimes it's your stress. How about when your circumstances suddenly change and you just start to worry about everything and you think about all the 957 things that could happen in the next 14 days. But guess what? Only one of them's going to and you have a father who knows what it is. And so why worry about tomorrow? Just worry about today. God only wants you to worry about like 10 things, not 957 things, just 10. Maybe they have names. I don't even know. Think about this. You have a father, you have a judge. So live in the moment, conduct yourself, be holy as he is holy. Depend on him, look to him. I do this thing where I set my happiness. I talked about this last week, around the corner. I do this thing where I project myself enjoying like 10 days of vacation, even missing a Sunday. And I, in my mind, I'm always like oceanfront in just palatial accommodations. The waves are four to six and glassy 
and I'm surfing until I have no energy and then I'm just eating the best food ever and enjoying my time just day after day after day. And I think that's coming, it's coming. That's a delusion, isn't it? See, that's never coming. It hasn't come yet and it's not coming soon. Uh, and so, I, but if I keep putting my foot on that, eventually I'm gonna be angry and bitter at people who keep me from having the happiness I deserve. Do you see it? Where are you setting your hope? Don't set it on fear. Don't set it on stress. Don't set it on future happiness. Set it on Christ. We gotta learn to take every thought captive because your mind's in control. All the thoughts you have are not helpful. Do you know that? Just because you thought it doesn't mean it's serving you, okay? Think about this. You know, we've learned to distrust people. We turn on the TV and we go, not sure about that. I doubt it, probably not. But for whatever reason, we believe every thought we have. Isn't that nuts? Think about all the things we think and we just believe because we thought it. But that's not what the scripture says. It says, take every thought captive. Some of those thoughts, they need to be not on probation. They need to be in jail. You know that? You know you got a Jesus jail in your mind? Not today. You're under arrest. You're going into Jesus jail. That is not a good thought for me to think about. This is what it looks like to have active, prepared minds. Okay, second and lastly, alert. Somebody say alert. I love this phrase, and being sober-minded, being sober-minded. And so there's, there's this idea of not being inebriated. So this is another physicality. Your mind doesn't have loins, right? And your mind can't get drunk. Your body can get drunk, your mind cannot. But you're being sober-minded. And so there's this idea of, are you being um, inebriated, dulled, numbed, or are you being sharp and focused? Now, this has a couple connotations. Think about this for a second. There's, there's a seasonality that comes through this. Um, somebody invites you, it's guys night. Hey, we're going out for a beer or you're going to a wedding. You're having a glass of wine at a table and people are dancing and partying. It's different than you have a paper due at midnight. What do you pour when you have a paper due at midnight? A cup of coffee and you get to work, right? Because it's different than date night than a deadline. Do you see it? And so there's times and seasons when you need sobriety of mind. You need to be focused. You need to be sharp. You need to be aware of what's coming. And part of setting your hope is being sober minded, sober minded. And it, we see this a little bit. I talked about this in the Titus series and we talked about the qualifications of leaders. And it says that you should not be a slave of much wine. And I had a friend say, is it okay if I'm a slave of a little? And I said, we only changed half the, the idiom there. It's okay if you're a master of a little, right? The opposite of a slave of much is a master of a little. But if you can't be a master of a little, you should be a drinker of none. That's how this works, right? And so the same thing happens with your mind. Do you recognize that sometimes we allow our own thoughts to numb and inebriate our mind? This can happen with daydreaming. You ever just check out? You ever do that? It can happen with gaming. I did this with words with friends. I grew up playing Scrabble, words with friends. It was so fun. But I found myself by, the, by year two of words with friends, I'm like, I'm gonna beat you. Like there's three, three moves, you're done. And I'm just words with friends, words with friends, words with friends. I had to turn it off. I just stopped playing words with friends because it was sucking all of my brain power and all of my time. What happens? We just have this thing where we want to numb ourselves. We want to just check out whether it's a book or a game or a whatever, you name it. I don't know if it's walking your dog. I don't know what it is for you, but you know what it is. But we got to stay sharp. We got to stay focused. Why? Because we're in a season and it's the season of our exile. We are in the season between when we came to know God as father and when we will stand before him as judge. We are in the season of purpose to love people the way God has. And you cannot love people when they have failed your hopes. You will be in a bitter, resentful, angry person, polarized, critical, judgmental against people. You can't love people when you hope on their behavior. 
And so we've got to be people who have a sharp mind, who have a focused mind. We're active and we're alert. We're ready for Jesus to come back any moment he's ready. We're ready, we're ready to be found working. We said this phrase on the stucco crew. Fire in the hole. You know what that means? The boss just pulled up. That's what it means. Fire in the hole. It means if you're sitting on a stair smoking a cigarette, you should stand up because the boss is back. And so that was, the idea was look busy, right? The boss shows up and you're like shoveling. I've been working this hard all day. I'm gonna work this hard after you leave. Not true. Nobody thinks that at all. Fire in the hole. We gotta be, we gotta be found doing what God put us here to do when God shows up. That's the idea. And that requires soberness of mind. We won't set our hope in the right place until we have learned to be both active and alert. This is so many of Jesus' parables are about this, by the way. I have a few of them in here. We don't have time to read them. You can find them. They're beautiful. Jesus talks about being ready, being prepared, not falling asleep, not, be, not running out of oil, not walking away, but doing the right thing and being found when the time has come. We've got to get ready every single day for the work of hope because it doesn't happen naturally. I wrote a little booklet for a paper, uh, for a class that had to do with uh, working from home. And so with this whole COVID spike, a lot of people went to work from home. And so uh, we were evaluating the ethics of working from home. And so some people, they go to work from home and the 15 minutes of work they did at the office, now they get to do in their pajamas a day, right? And other people found themselves highly motivated and able to do a whole lot more at home than they did by all the distractions they experienced at the office. Both things were happening. Well, then the companies were going, well, how do I know if you're being productive? So companies were just accessing their employees unbeknownst to them through their camera on their laptop. Did you know that? Several companies that just started just opening up the network and just watching to see if you were working. How'd you like that? Is that not an invasion of privacy? And so we wrote a little booklet about all these little ethical dilemmas and how do we work from home and how do we have an outcomes-driven approach and how do we set people free? And you know what it involves? Trust and communication. You have to set very clear goals and deadlines and you have to trust the people who are out there and then you have to evaluate based on what they're able to get done based on what you told them to get done in the time that they had. So I wrote this little book. But I, I, think about, I think about this. One of the things I said in the book is that even if you work from home, you should get up, take a shower and get dressed for work and then go sit at your kitchen table. I think that would be, it's a really helpful thing to tell your brain, hey, I'm going to work today. Don't bring your computer into your bed, right? Computer, bag of chips, Diet Coke. I'm working, I'm productive. No, 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 get ready. And listen, as followers of Jesus, we've got to learn to get ready for hope every single day. Part of being alert and being ready is to recognize that your hope drifts and you got to fix it. You got to fix it on what's true. You got to fix it on your father. You got to set it on your savior. You got to have it in the Holy Spirit. Every single day, we've got to connect with God in an alert way, ready to be active, ready to obey, and ready to put our hope where it will not fail us because the world's gone left field, everybody. It has, and we're all experiencing it together, but all of us are walking through our own experience filled with things we never thought we'd have to endure, twists and turns, and we need to be people of hope. And so prepare your mind. Prepare your mind. Take the time you need to prepare your mind. And I want to give you an example of that as we close. We're going to end on time. You're welcome. I also am doing this because we have 75 minute service times, but as soon as we go to three services, that means they're only giving me 60 minutes. So I've got to get better at this fast. So I want to, I want to give you, I want to give you a kind of an object lesson of how this works for me. 
and, and set you on a course to be able to set your mind. So I'm really a fan of early mornings. I know some of you are not morning people, but I said early mornings and that can be 10 for you. Okay, if 10 is early for you, then that's your early. But whatever your early is, uh, first thing when you wake up, it's really helpful to just start a dialogue with God. And so one of the first thoughts I have and the things that I do every single day is I just acknowledge God's presence. I say, I actually say, good morning, boss. I call God my boss. It's not just because I'm a pastor. I've been doing that before. Morning, boss. That's just my word for he's the Lord. He's the king. So good morning, boss. I, I can't see you, but I know you're there. I know you're watching and <laughs> not through my webcam. <laughs> morning, boss. And the, the second thing I do is with my coffee, I, I just want to get a little nugget of truth going in my brain because without the little nugget of truth, my worrier can turn on or my daydreamer can turn on or my kids are happy to be the first voice that jumps into my head. I can be going from thinking about sleep to thinking about oatmeal and apple juice, just like that, you know? And then I think about how are we gonna pay for all this apple juice, right? So here, we, here it goes. So I just wanna put a true thought, knowledge God, put a true thought in. And then one of the things I like to do is to let the scriptures hit me. And uh, I actually was in Leviticus this week and Psalms and different places. And I was just letting the truth of what God has revealed kind of settle in and hit me. And one of the things I like to do, because I've been reading the Bible a long time, is that I get real familiar with the scriptures. And so Tiffany kind of turned me on to this, but I'll, I'll read in a translation that's very different from one that I'm used to. So I grew up with New King James, and then it was NIV, and now it's ESV. And Tiffany pushes me towards the Passion Translation or the Message or even Young's Literal and some ways of thinking about it that are differently. And I know from this passage, because there's a reference at the end of chapter one, Peter was thinking about Psalm 103. And you're familiar with it. If I read it in the King James or in the NIV or in the ESV, you probably would recognize at least some of it. But I wanna close by reading to you portions of it from the Passion Translation. And this is a way you can think about your day. You can activate your mind, prepare your mind, be alert and start your day to set your hope where it's not gonna fail. So that's what we're gonna do. You ready? And then I'm gonna pray for you and then you're gonna leave because there's more people coming in behind you. Here we go. Psalm 103. With my whole heart and my whole life and with my innermost being, I bow in wonder and love before you, the holy God. Yahweh, you are my soul's celebration. How could I ever forget the miracles of kindness you've done for me? You've kissed my heart with forgiveness in spite of all I've done. And I don't actually like the idea of God kissing my heart. That's weird to me, but it makes me think about how beautiful and tender and intimate his forgiveness is. You've healed me inside and out from every disease. You've rescued me from the pit and saved my life. You've crowned me with love and mercy. You satisfy my every desire with good things. I need that because sometimes I think following God means there's a lot of things I can't do that I want to do. But the reality is, is that those desires are awful and terrible for everyone. And that he gives me new desires and those new desires are satisfying and beautiful. You know that? And so I stop and I meditate on that thought. You've supercharged my life so that I soar again, like a flying eagle in the sky. And I like supercharged because I have a Mustang GT and I would like to have a supercharger on it. And I would like to drive like an eagle flies. And I think about what God has done for me in my life, moves me forward, motivates me. Verse eight, Lord, you're so kind and tenderhearted, so patient with people who fail you. Your love is like a flooding river overflowing its banks with kindness. You don't look at us only to find our faults just so you can hold a grudge against us. Higher than the 
highest heavens. That's how high your tender mercy extends. Greater than the grandeur of heaven above is the greatness of your loyal love, towering over all who fear you and bow down before you, farther than from a sunrise to a sunset. That's how far you've removed our guilt from us. And I just want to say, thank you, God. Because I wasn't just a weaseling, lying kid. There's a lot of other bad stuff that I've done and I'm just so grateful that God's cleansed me and separated my guilt from me. The same way a loving father feels towards his children, that's but a sample of your tender feelings towards us. And I feel those feelings towards my little apple juice fiends when I make their oatmeal. I feel those feelings and I think that's just a sample of what God feels towards me. You know all about us inside and out. You're mindful that we're made from dust. Our days are so few and our momentary beauty so swiftly fades. And that makes sense when I look in the mirror. There's more wrinkles and less hair. Was that mole there before? It's all fading fast. All of a sudden we're gone, like grass clippings blown away in a gust of wind, taken away to our appointment with death, leaving nothing to show that we were here But Lord, your endless love stretches from one eternity to the other, unbroken, unrelenting toward those who fear you and those who bow face down in awe before you. I will bless and praise the Lord with my whole heart. Let all his works throughout the earth, wherever his dominion stretches, let everything bless the Lord. Do you see how that, just a few minutes, will set your hope, will prepare your mind, will make you active and alert. It'll get you thinking. And if you can do that every day until you die, you might just find yourself to be a person characterized by hope. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that as we consider what you have instructed us to do as we set our hope, Lord, what you have done is to provide a foundation for that hope. God, we could never do anything, control anything, set anything, act in any way, obey enough to create hope for ourselves. God, we will always let ourselves down. But we have a foundation in Jesus that is ground beneath our feet and that makes our steps secure. Thank you that you have provided the reality for us to set our hope upon. And God, as we grow into obedient children who conduct ourselves like our Father in heaven and be holy as you are holy, God, and as we live throughout this time in our exile, in the time between now and when we see you face to face, God, we need to be people of hope. God, to fulfill the calling to love other people, we've got to learn to take our hopes off of them, away from them, and place our feet firmly upon the truth of who you are and what you've done. So God, would you help us by your Holy Spirit to be moved every morning, to be persuaded throughout the day before we lay our head on the pillow at night, to be conscious of your nearness and your power and your care. God, would you allow our stress and our daydreaming and our fears to remind us that we're setting our hope in the wrong place? And God, would you allow us to experience from your word a mind-preparing reality? God, I pray for every person in my hearing, in person and online, 
that does not know you, God, I pray that what they would hear in this moment is you speaking their name, that you know them intimately, that they are your child and that you died to redeem them, forgive them, save them, and welcome them home, to give them hope and purpose in this life. God, I pray right now that there would be a willingness of heart, a readiness to repent, a new way of thinking, a metanoia, and God, I pray for every disciple of Jesus, God, as we've spent a little bit of time in your word, Lord, I pray that you would make us a little bit more like Jesus, a little bit more focused on our Father, a little bit more active in our thinking, a little bit more alert to what you are doing in the world around us. God, by your Holy Spirit, we pray that these words would bear fruit, that they would be seeds in our hearts, that they would bear great fruit for us in our own lives and for the people that you're calling us to reach. God, we want to live lives that honor you and point to you. We want to have our hope set upon you. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. If you want to pray to receive Christ today, our prayer teams are here. They'd love to pray with you. If you have any need of prayer, they would love to pray with or for you. And you can always fill out a card if you have decided to follow Jesus. We want to know about it. Put some resources in your hands. If you need prayer, our team would love to pray for you uh, on Monday. Uh, we want to be a blessing to you in every single way that we can. And we want you to be a blessing back to us. So go check out that volunteer page. Why don't you? God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. We'll see you next, next week.